0: This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and as always, I'm joined by George Smith. George, how are you doing?
1: Oh, not bad, mate. Not bad. soldiering on from covering another depressing, depleted Manchester United performance. But other than that, can't complain, I don't think.
0: I thought they were really good at the weekend, personally.
1: Yeah, I did as well. Definitely a step in the right direction.
0: Oh, David De Gea was brilliant, and I thought um, Christian Eriksson and Alessandro Martinez played really well as well. Yeah,
1: definitely room for improvement, though. We'll reach a compromise at that. But for Blackburn, however, much better weekend for you.
0: It was. I got to. Uh, I got to go and get my Saturday football fix elsewhere, and then go to work and watch Rovers on Sunday. So I wish Blackburn played every Sunday. It would fit my calendar much better. I got to play football on Saturday morning. It was great. Yeah, I played ninety minutes in thirty degree heat on uh, on Saturday morning. I want me tested, but it was fun. And then I got to go and uh, go to a, a different game on Saturday, and then Sunday I got to go watch Rovers. So I enjoyed. I enjoyed my weekend anyway.
1: Better weekend than me then.
0: Well clearly evidently yeah to watch that uh, that shower on the box it's
1: probably
0: (laughs) the best way
1: to put it it's not easy at the minute I must admit but it on championship football is what we want to be here for
0: definitely and as always a reminder to make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed which you can find on all your usual platforms and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at champchatpod24 big thank you as always to our sponsors Carder Accepted for supporting the podcast this season really do appreciate their support And if you're looking to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees, please make sure you visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum up devices, so make sure you go and check them out for any of your small business needs. On today's podcast, of course, we'll be looking at the weekend's action with a goal from a goalkeeper, George. Can you believe it?
1: Yep, wasn't exactly expecting that on this week's when we uh, finished our last episode, but there we go. More on that to come.
0: This is the Championship Chat Podcast. We're actually going to start with a draw, which we've never done since we do it, because we've just got to talk about Sunderland 2, Queen's Park Rangers 2. So I'm sorry that he's getting bumped up to the top and we'll do the rest of the draws at the end and talk about the rest of the games. But I've But we've got to talk about Sunderland 2, Queen's Park Rangers 2, because a goalkeeper has scored in the Championship. And not just scored, George, he's, he's levered a header into the back of the net. And what a header it was, by the way. It wasn't a scrappy one that's come off someone's shin and gone in. What a goal. Um, yeah, in fairness, QPR have absolutely stolen the point, if we're being completely honest, on the balance of play. Uh, I thought they were really, really impressive first half. Um, Elliot, uh, the, that, that triangle of, of Pritchard, Stewart and Ellis Sims, just too too good for Queen's Park Rangers defence to handle caused so many mistakes uh, from, you know, Championship defenders that we we rate. Rob Dickey looked like he had a bit of a nightmare. Um, Jimmy Dunn as well, struggling. And that triangle is going to cause a lot of problems for teams. And Sunderland have done some really good business to get Ellis Sims in. 2-0 up and probably could have been more. And then in the 87th minute, uh, Big Ilias chair sticks a free kick into the back of the net. And then the the moment i feel i feel like i should almost be like if i could be asked to edit this better i would put like titanic music over the top of, of what, how i describe it but I'm, I'm going to be lazy and not do that um imagine chair puts the first delivery in and and Dieng nearly gets on the first one as well it's well headed away comes back out to chair checks inside as you would expect on his right foot and it's it's a cracking delivery and what a header it's the it's almost like he's been practising with the way... It's not just hit him, has it? He's he's really turned the neck muscles as he's headed it over Anthony Patterson and into the far corner. I mean, the, the adrenaline you must get from scoring a goal for anyone, never mind a goalkeeper. And then what almost makes this story more remarkable is even though he's equalised in the 92nd minute, how the hell he can compose himself after scoring to pull off a double save of that magnitude? The first one is a brilliant save to deny Ross Stewart's header but then you think Elliot Embleton, very good with both feet, is about to smash it into the back of the net. And he, he just launches himself. And and it's a brilliant tip onto the crossbar. Sunderland will not know how they didn't win this game. QPR will not know how they've left with a point. But Semi Dien, bloody hell, he, uh, he definitely deserved to be not on the losing side in this game. What It was probably an out-of-body experience where he's just had five minutes where he's become Manuel Neuer, if we're being completely honest.
1: Yeah, not bad for a keeper that's not kept to clean sheets so far this season, is it?
0: What, right, well, clean sheets, mate? You're, you're a dinosaur <laughs> if you're measuring goalkeeper success on clean sheets. It's all about them expecting mean,
1: goals. Wow, I mean, seriously, you summed it up perfectly. Amazing, unbelievable, and what a header it was. Like you said, it was no fluke, it was no rebound, you know, little thing that scuffed off his shoulder or whatever. It was a proper striker's instinctive finish tell you now, Alexander Mitrovic would have been proud of that one last season in his rich goal-scoring form. But Senny Dieng, my word, I mean, like you said, he, you know, he leapt high, he adjusted himself. It was an excellent header. No keeper in the world were keeping it out. And then to have the composure and the calmness and, you know, the mental strength to, after being such an adrenaline rush that that would have generated to go back down the other end and keep out Ross Stewart's effort in the way that he did, what a stunning save that was spread himself well for Embleton's follow-up as well. I mean, wow, Senny Dieng, he's never ever going to forget that five minutes is he, for the rest of his career, whatever he goes on to achieve. It was truly sensational stuff and I swear to God that could only happen in the Championship. I mean, Senny Dieng is a brilliant goalkeeper. But he's now proven himself as a brilliant brilliant centre-forward capable of bearing a header like that. I, I mean, it was just superb, wasn't it? Like you said, it was. there was nothing scruffy about it. There was nothing unpleasant about it. It was a proper, instinctive striker's header. It was, it was brilliant. I'll tell you now, some of the championships made marksman would have been happy with that. I
0: think, but, uh, I think Lyndon Dice would have been happy with that. He would have he's been. Team made. It would have been.
1: And Ross Stewart at the other end would have most certainly been happy with that. But I mean... What a crazy moment. And like I said, to the composers to go back up the other end and make a save like it did. Wow. That could only happen the in the championship. The save definitely
0: makes it even better. It does. Like it does. It set, that, a- that's, that's almost what I and don't it- enjoy that more than the goal, but it, it makes the whole thing so perfect. Yeah. It does. It kind of
1: completes the narrative around it, doesn't it? And it's not just as if it was a you know a routine stop. It was a stunning save. It was a fantastic stop. So, Senny Dieng, I mean, the first goalkeeper of the Championship since 2008 to actually score at this level. Adam Federici for Reading was the last one, so 14 years ago. I was actually surprised when I saw that start. I didn't realise it was as long as that. Not that it's very often, let's admit, but... I mean, why word, What a moment for him, and one he's and never going the to forget. First
0: one we've had since we've done the pod, anyway. And it, it must is have indeed been good for us to rip up my uh, the running order. In my belief that we don't <laughs> that we don't need draws because there's we've still got nine games to go through, and we've already gone through one of the draws well, in depth. So usually, we are going to fly through the games a little bit. I quickly. mean, just
1: to just to prove just how special that was, I sent a message to Elliot on Saturday afternoon, about five to five, telling him what had happened. He just replied with, what the hell has happened? That was his response. That was literally what I thought when I saw it. But my words, Senny Dieng, uh, let's be honest, whatever happens the rest of this season, and I can't believe I'm saying this, on the 15th of August, he has already taken one of the moments of the season. There's no doubt oh, about it. What a, what a moment for him. And let's not forget as well, for QPR collectively, you know, that's a good point for them to have claimed something with three minutes to go and they were 2-0 down. So, they've taken four points in the last two off Middlesbrough, promotion favourite and Sunderland have had a good start. So, I think for Beale overall, you know, it's been a positive start for him. But, obviously, Dieng takes the headlines and understandably so.
0: Absolutely. Brilliant story. It's the sort of thing that we love in football, never mind the the EFL. So, great to see uh, a goalkeeper netting one. Now, in terms of the, the regular action... Rotherham United four, Reading nil is the place to start, I think. Brilliant result for Rotherham, and if we're talking about brilliant work from one goalkeeper, um, I think it's only fair that we talk about absolutely shambolic work from another goalkeeper named Mister Joe Lumley, who regular listeners of the podcast will know all about because I think we've not sugarcoated his lack of ability uh, in previous games, and you know he's still a human being, so I don't want to let's go silly, but talking about it. You know, as adults in a sporting context, he had an absolute howler of an afternoon. Now, credit to Rotherham, and I think we'll we'll touch on Rotherham first because they played very well. And Paul Ince was quite happy to say that his team were bullied by Paul Warren's team. And then Paul Warren said that he put out a team of Smurfs, so he was pretty happy if that's what Paul Ince said, which was a great quote. Um, but Rotherham played really well, especially after uh, a good draw on opening day. Then the disappointment of not being able to play against Coventry. So, four points for them is good. Good header from Richard Wood, lovely cross from Ben Wiles for that one. Connor Washington had a really good game, and I think he's had, had plenty of critics, not for performances, but I think Rotherham have had critics for bringing him in. We were critical, certainly, and I think rightly so. I still stand by that, just because he's had one good game. But you've also got to say credit where it's due. Really good performance, ran the channels, which are all the things you expect, Connor Washington. You know, We're not shocked by the fact he worked hard and ran the channels. It's Has he got the finishing ability? Is he going to score enough goals? Well, the finish, which again, Joe Longley should have done better. You can't get beaten at your near post. But he's hit it really hard and really high. It's a good strike at least. Unlike the third one, which from Lindsay is just... I don't even know how he's done it. Because he's almost like tried to stick his arms out in front of him to, to scoop it up. But just put your body behind it. Because then at least it can't go through your legs. Even if it bounces off his knees... And bear in mind, this this ball was not coming at any significant pace. Then it would bounce off and at least you'd have a second chance to redeem yourself. But it was a shocker. The The next one was just as bad where it's a ball over the top from Barlazer. A very good ball over the top from Barlazer. who have got three assists as well. Uh, uh, another reminder of how important he is to this Rotherham team. Blackpool have had another bid rejected for him this week. Rotherham determined to keep him and Again, they just they can't afford to lose any more key players. Ogbeni and Barlazer and Wiles have got to stay at Rotherham. And they can beat championship teams, as we just said. You know, Reading are one of the teams where when you look at the table, Rotherham will be going, we need to finish above them, them and them. They're trying to find three teams. Reading are one of those and they spanked them 4-0. So, good on them for that. Um, Yeah, awful for the fourth one. He comes flying out of his goal. Uh, Ogbeni takes it round him and it's a simple finish. There was also one that didn't result in a goal where, again, he misjudged it completely. The ball got taken around him. Uh, And I think it was Washington headed over the bar from the cross, from the far side on the left. But he's just an absolute shocker. Credit to Rotherham for capitalising. Rotherham were better overall regardless. uh, And a big result for Paul Wallen's side.
1: Definitely. I mean, obviously, Dan Barless has stole the show, didn't he? Three assists in the space of 45 minutes. He was absolutely outstanding. He was the architect of that victory and highlighted his importance to Rotherham and what Paul Warren's trying to do there and it's so imperative that they keep hold of him before the window closes. Obviously, they've already lost key personnel this summer and they really can't afford to lose any more. So, Barlasa, instrumental, ran the show in midfield and just dictated everything about what Rotherham did to get three assists, you know, regardless of the opposition, obviously, really not considered as the best in the Championship, but regardless of who you're playing against, to get three assists in one Championship half is, you know, not to be sniffed at at all, but Obviously, Rotherham's hopes were helped by Joe Lumley. There's no escaping that. He had an absolute shocker. It was an afternoon to forget for him. And unfortunately for him, these afternoons becoming all the more frequent, aren't they? He, you know, he made several errors at Middlesbrough last season, flapped at numerous crosses, chances. And it's easy to understand why Chris Wilder was so keen to, you know, get a new man in and get him off the books sharpish. Because he did cost Middlesbrough points last season. There's no doubt about that. He, he has been a... And it's... <laughs> I don't want to be too harsh because you said goalkeepers are human. They make mistakes, but they're all too frequent in his game. That is the problem. He does make more hashes than any other championship goalkeeper. There's no doubt about it. Certainly in the last 12 months anyway. So, Reading, for me, they've got to look at that. And I know they've only just brought him in, but to me, he isn't good enough to be a starting goalkeeper at this level. He just isn't good enough. He makes costly error after error. And to have made, you know, not just one, but three really bad errors in one game, I'd say it's two very one. bad errors. I
0: think the, the well, Washington one is a, is an, a small error, but the the other two are horrific.
1: Yeah, the other two are horrific, but the Washington one, you know, he could do better. Let's put it that Definitely. way. We'll put it's it a that small way. Error. It's a small yeah, error. but the other two are just completely... I mean, the fourth goal, what Igbené scores, I mean, I watched the highlights and I just literally, you know when you just sat on the sofa and you're exactly, at what the hell is he doing? Is he doing that was game? literally my reaction. What he was doing, I don't know, but it was an afternoon to forget for him and for Reading, but like you say, for Rotherham, You know, we've got to give them credit. They forced the chances, they forced the openings and they played really, really well. And like you said, these are the games they've got to target and look at and think, we've got to get points out of these games if we're going to, you know, stand any chance of avoiding repeating the cycle of going up and coming down again. So really pleasing start for them. Let's be fair, because obviously the game at Coventry last weekend was called off. So they've only played two games rather than in comparison to somebody else who's played three already. And they've taken four points. Obviously, both have been home games. They've got to make the New Yorker fortress this season. They've also progressed in the Carabao Cup. So for Paul Warren, really, it's been a really satisfactory start to the season, considering obviously what's gone off in the transfer market, where they've struggled to get players in. They've lost two of their best players from last season. They've dealt with quite a few injury issues. So I think for Paul Warren, you know, the man that he is, we know what a great character he is, and we know how emotional a character he can be in his football and his the way he wants his teams to play. I think he's done a really, really good job in these first few couple of weeks of the season. So, than you know, it's early days. You don't want to get too carried away. But I think for the resources that he's got at the moment, I think he deserves a hell of a lot of credit for what he's done. I mean, four points from the opening two. Yeah, both home games. But it's a, he's laid down a marker and it's given them something to build on ahead of trickier tasks that are going to come. So, you know, all the talk of Lumley errors and and helping them with some shoddy goalkeeping and defending. Rotherham played really, really well. And for Dan Barlaser now, it's only going to increase the uh, speculation about his future. Wiles got an assist at the weekend as well. Ogbené got a goal. So, you know, it's going to be quite a worrying ending, you would think, to the window for Rotherham. But regardless if those guys stay or leave, they've still got to get more bodies through the door. But at the minute, things looking pretty positive And I think they'll be very pleased with four points in the first two.
0: I think this is one of the reasons why we had Reading to be down there. We both, no, you you had them stay up by one place instead of Wigan. Yeah, I had them to very go tight. And I think part of it, why I think that was because I know they've got probably the best attack of the three teams that I said would go down, which were Birmingham, Rotherham and Reading, for anyone that needs a reminder. But the thing for me with like Reading or Wigan, for example, or Blackpool, I think Blackpool have got a goalkeeper that will save them points in Daniel Grimshaw. And I think that Wigan have got a goalkeeper in Ben Amos that will save them points. And I think Joe Lumley will not just not save them points. I think he will cost them points. And I think that was evident at the weekend, which is a, a concern for Paul Inks. Rovers 2, West Brom 1. The only 100% record in the Championship continues. Three out of three and an impressive cup victory over Hartlepool United to boot. This was quite an even, even game, if I'm being completely honest. The first half in particular, there wasn't a lot of um, I wouldn't say there wasn't a lot of quality because there were some nice passages of play, but there wasn't a lot of goal mouth action. Uh, Grady Garner had the best chance, a good header at the back post at 0-0, which Kaminsky completely lost the flight of. There was two occasions where Thomas Kaminsky has been brilliant for Rovers and, and overall pulled off an excellent save at 2-1 to keep out Carl and Grant. But there was two incidents where he got completely caught out from crosses. That was one of them which Garner should have scored. And there was a corner late on at 2-1 where in stoppage time where he came and just got nowhere near it. But this was all about Ben Brereton-Diaz. He he was unplayable at times. West Brom just couldn't cope with him. First part piece of individual quality in the whole first half. Lovely ball from Callum Britton, it must be said, into Sam Gallagher. Nice layoff. Uh, shifted onto his left foot and curled into the bottom of the corner. Brilliant strike. And then the second goal was was probably my favourite of the two, to be honest, even though the first strike was so good. Because it was just a great move. Daniel Ayala had it in the in the bottom left corner. Uh, gets played into Perriotan Diaz, who holds it up. Absolutely skins Darnell Furlong. Feet are just too quick for him. Nice one-two with uh, Tyler Morton, A bounce pass, as it's called. And just too strong, too quick. Driving run towards the area. Good awareness to set up Sam Gallagher. And he sweeps it into the bottom corner for number two. Clinical finishing from Rovers. And for me, the most Im- impressive thing about this Blackburn Rovers team at the minute is... Defensively, they look fantastic, and that they, we know they've got de- the most depth they've got is at the top end of the pitch, and that's where their big, biggest quality is. So, if they're keeping clean sheets, they don't need a lot to win games, and they've got the players with individual quality. And this is a back line that, if you're not abreast of Blackburn Rover's injury situation, they are knackered at the back. Scott Walton's out for two for uh, two weeks. They've Daniel Ayala's their only fit senior centre half. Hayden Carter's injured as well. Sam Barnes, who was fourth choice centre half at the start of the season, uh, tore his ACL in training. Uh, sorry, in a training match, so behind closed doors. So, seventeen-year-old Ash Phillips, who was a, a very highly rated young lad from the academy, he started and made his full debut against Hartlepool in midweek. Uh, Wharton then gets injured with a calf problem; he's out for two weeks, and Phillips has to start against West Brom. Full Championship debut. He's only he turned seventeen on the twenty-sixth of June. So he's only just 17. He can't wear a shirt sponsor because it's a vaping company. So he's got a shirtless, uh, a sponsorless shirt. And he was absolutely excellent. He played it really simple in possession. He cleared his lines. And then even he went off injured. He went off after 70 minutes with cramp. Now he should be all right for Reading on Wednesday if he he is selected. Um, It just underlines Blackburn need to get some defenders in because you do worry that the, the good run they're on will we'll get undermined by the injuries at the back. Seth Van den Berg, as I understand it at the time of recording on half past three on, on Monday, is pretty much a done deal. Um it's just depending when it goes through based on Liverpool and their current injury problems at the back, because I think Canate's injured. I think Joel Matip's got a bit of a problem as well. So it's more and this was the case with the Tyler Morton deal where it was rubber stamped and they were sort of waiting for it to to get approved essentially. They need a centre half in asap because they can't keep relying on Ash Phillips who's 17 years old to play Saturday Tuesday Saturday Tuesday which he might well have to do if they don't sign a centre-back this week if he's even fit so that's the problem but they were brilliant played really well clinical performance West Brom had good spells of pressure but for Steve Bruce to come out and say his team totally dominated when you look at the stats how many saves did Kaminsky have to make well they had one really good chance that I referenced earlier with Dean Garner at the back post, which which wasn't a save, it went wide. He pulled off one exceptional save from Karl and Grant at 2-1 and the goal was a massive deflection. It was a nothing chance that took a huge deflection and went in the opposite corner. So he pulled off one big save and they missed one big chance and the goal was came from nothing. So yes, they had good spells of possession and decent play and they look a decent team. But they didn't really carve Blackburn open, if I'm being honest. So I think to say they totally dominated is, is a, a disservice. And I think most of the people that watch the game from a neutral perspective would agree. Fingers crossed Blackburn can keep some players fit and, and this good run can continue.
1: Definitely. I mean, it's the start that Jondal Thomason would have only dreamed about, isn't it? Really, four wins from four in League and Cup, top of the table, one goal conceded, Ben Brerett and diaz up and running for the season. I mean, if you'd literally you know, wanted your cards to fall into place. They've fallen into place perfectly for Jondal Thomas Thomason. It's been the absolute dream start for him. Obviously, there's question marks, obviously, over the, the fitness of the back line and problems there. But at the minute, it's not proving to Hampen Rose's, you know, their progress too much at all, is it? They're, they've won three out of three in the league, playing a decent brand of football. And again, you spoke last week about the adaptability to, to match up different opponents. And when you consider what they've played in the opening three games, They've, they've not had an easy run of fixtures, let's be fair. QPR, obviously, you know, you'd know, you expect them to be knocking on the door of the playoffs and having a go. Swansea, the same. West Brom are many people's tip for the title, and they've taken maximum points of all three of them, conceding just one goal. So the signs are very, very promising. They're playing some good stuff. Ben Brerett and Diaz, up and running, obviously, a goal and assist at the weekend, a goal last week at Swansea, and both goals of which have been terrific, let's be said. So... Things looking very, very good for Blackburn early doors, obviously. As with any club, you don't want to get too carried away early on. But whilst there's things to be positive and um, be upbeat about, they deserve recognition. And that's what, exactly what Blackburn deserve. They've come flying out of the traps. They've set the pace at the top. And, you know, considering they've got Reading up next on Wednesday evening, as we recorded this on Monday afternoon, obviously it's the Championship. Anything can happen. But you would think it's a good opportunity to keep that run going and, and you know, Keep the foot if, to the it floor. It is
0: if Joe Lumley's in goal.
1: Well, it's a chance. Certainly is a chance if Joe Lumley's in goal, but we shall see Ben Burton deals with a licking his lips at that one. But let's be honest, it's, you know, it's a favourable fixture that you would expect Blackburn to win on paper without obviously mocking Joe Lumley or things like that. Blackburn have got to look at that game and think, yeah, Reading have had a, you know, a tricky start. Thumping defeat at the weekend. It's an opportunity for us to continue this good form and this good start. So... A lot to like about Blackburn. I mean, the transfer business was slow, let's not forget as well. The appointment as a manager was slow. and We were wondering how long that was going to take. But it's all come together very quickly and it seems to be coming together very, very well. And, you know, why why can't they go one step further unless he's been maintaining a good stand across the whole season? So, a lot of work to be done still. I still think they need a bit of depth in places. Obviously, at the back, it's a, a major issue. But, you know, if they keep hold of Ben Burrett and Diaz, then who knows what could be achieved this season because it's clear that the fans have, as any set of fans would with results like this, have warmed to the manager instantly. The players seem to be enjoying his style and everything like that. So from what I'm seeing, obviously I've not seen anywhere near as much as what you've seen at Blackburn, but from the highlights and clips I've seen, there's a lot to like about them and a lot of positivity around the place. So who knows what this season could bring on, but you know, early days, important to remain grounded, but recognition where it's deserved. They've had a brilliant start.
0: I think I've been pretty consistent in the fact that I believe that Blackburn's first 11 is as good, well, it's not as good as, but it can compete with pretty much anyone in the top 10 in terms of as proven. Be competing at the top, level of the top 10. It's yeah. when they start having to play Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, which concerns me and that's what we're going to see. They've got midweek games every week until the end of the month, um, played Hartlepool, they've got Reading this week, then they've got a Bradford in the Cup and they played Blackpool as well on the 31st of August on transfer deadline day, so... That will be the real making and I think the the board have got a lot to do. Certainly need two centre-backs and maybe a lone striker um, could be coming in before the end of the window, so that's what I'm expecting. West Brom have got two points from three games, but I wouldn't be overly concerned. I think they did play well in patches. Um, I wouldn't say they totally dominate, so I think that's that's not just the case, but I think they're playing better than they were playing last season, so although... They've got two points from three, I think. you know Some favourable fixtures coming out, I think they'll get points on the board. Hull City 2, Norwich 1, George. Another team struggling on Norwich, still looking for their first victory of the season with two defeats and a draw to their name. Pressure piling up on Dean Smith. And once again, as we spoke about last week against Wigan, they're just giving away huge chances with sloppy possession play, trying to play out from the back. Norwich are having lots of territory, They're having lots of shots and you could be fooled into thinking that they are just getting really unlucky. But I'm sorry, when you are giving up such... They're not giving up many chances, but the chances they are giving up are huge chances on the counter-attack where they're getting caught out by by sloppy play in midfield, sloppy play from their centre-backs and they're defending atrociously. You are going to get caught out in the Championship. Their average expected goals per shot against must be so high and by that I mean the the average quality of the chance that they are giving away whilst there might not be loads of them the ones they are giving away are huge chances we saw that against Wigan they scored one goal on the break when McLean scored and it was the same again uh, at the weekend Oscar Estupinan getting his first couple of goals for Hull City Um, but as I say when you look at the numbers as well Norwich 15 shots on goal but their expected goals total was only one39 now, clearly, those are they're not creating high-quality chances. They're creating decent shooting chances from range, perhaps. You know, the, probably the best chance they had was when Aaron Ramsey stuck one over the bar from close range. That was a bit of a sitter. But that will probably have taken up probably, what, I don't know, at least 0.4 of that 1.39. So from 14 other efforts on goal, they've created the quality of one goal on average. I think that shows that they're not quite clicking an attack and whilst they're giving the ball away so poorly defensively, and in midfield, they're going to get done on transitions.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's it's been a really underwhelming start from Norwich, hasn't it? They've they've not set the pace like they have done in recent years, coming flying out of the traps. And I don't know why I had a little bit of a reservation about them this season, even though I tipped them to finish in the top four. I think it was, but I just feel that you know they're a completely different proposition to what they were two years ago, and they were last in the championship and. I think for me, the the thing for Norwich is they've got into such a habit of, you know, losing last season, obviously, in the Premier League. They've only won one of the last 19 league games, I think it is. They've not won away from home since January. There is a, you know, the mentality there must be shot to pieces. And when you start a season when you're considered one of the promotion favourites, it's really not a good start. Dean Smith came out after the game on Saturday and... Kind of said that he was happy with the performance. He thought on another day his side would have won the game, but you know they were they were guilty of giving possession away in poor areas, and that's what that's what the problem was. But like you said, the chances they are creating they're not exactly brilliant chances, and they've obviously they've only scored two goals in their opening three games. Timo Puki's not really had a sniff, so to speak, of, and I think the worrying thing for Norwich is as well. They've not even led at any point in these three games. they get to lead a game this season aside from in the Carabao Cup. And even then, they they blew a two-goal lead and required penalties to get past Birmingham. So, it is a worrying start for Dean Smith. And I think the, the thing with Norwich is the recruitment this summer has been slow. There's been very, very little of it. Underwhelming. Very underwhelming. I think they're lacking, for me, two or three more players, personally.
0: It I start do think they're going to it. It doesn't, the, the not division.
1: at all. Whereas in, you know, I mean, his previous years, they'd got Buendia that was, you know, the main architect of it all. He'd create it all. And obviously, Puki would be the man to put the ball in the back of the net, which obviously he still can do. We know he's capable of scoring goals at this level. Three games is not enough to write a striker's season off. But, you know, somebody of Buendia's ilk, he stood head and shoulders with pretty much everybody else in the championship the last season he was in it. Probably him and probably out Dan Juma with the star players that year. So when you've lost somebody like that and then you're coming back into the league where you are expected to perform, it does actually make you realise just how good he was and how big an influence he was in that last promotion-winning campaign. So they've definitely got work to do, Norwich. And I don't buy into the fact that Dean Smith suddenly become a bad manager overnight. He is a good manager at this level. He's proven that in the past. He did a good job at Brentford, promoted with Aston Villa. But I just fear of Norwich got into such a habit of losing. Is it a case of almost the standards that are acceptable have dropped because of what they've been used to in the Premier League last year? So they've really got to find a way to, you know, get their season moving as quickly as possible. Because one point from their opening three, and that with no disrespect was against a side that's just come up from League One in Wigan Athletic at home. It's not a good start. Because on paper, you would argue that Norwich's fixes have been quite favourable. I know this is a championship and anything can happen, but you would, for instance, say that, you know, an opening three of Cardiff away, Wigan at home and Hull City away are a lot easier than what Watford, who came down with them, have faced in Sheffield United at home, West Brom away and Burnley at home. So, And they've picked up seven points from nine. So it does show you that Norwich have, you know, they've not hit their full potential yet. Long way from it. They need bodies through the door. They're not, regardless of what Dean Smith says, they're not, they're not playing brilliantly, I don't think, personally, for what they're capable of, truly. So they've got a lot of work to do, but there's no reason for panic. It's, you know, three games in. We're not even at the end of the first month yet, but they've got to get that first one of the bottom run right. I think they've got Huddersfield at home on Tuesday night, as we record on Monday afternoon. So you've got to look at that one and think that's the game where you've got to get three points. If they don't, then, you know, the pressure on Dean Smith is going to crank up just that a little bit more because there is an expectancy when they're in this league to be competing at the top and at the minute, they're not doing that at all.
0: Yeah, credit to Hull City as well for taking advantage of, of that uh, generous defending. Good start for Shotter Aviladzi, seven points from nine and particularly good to see them winning their first two home games because I think it's fair to say that when Aviladzi first came in, they were doing really, way, really well away from home in the back end of last season, but struggling to get the results at the KCOM Stadium, whereas they've clearly got two wins from two, uh, two-one two, wins and, and the scoring goals, which is, Always what the home fans want to see. Huddersfield Town 3, Stoke City won a massive, massive win for Danny Schofield and Huddersfield Town, their first of the season. After two pretty bad defeats, and I mean that in terms of the level of performances, you know, the Carabao Cup is such... It's it's an irrelevant fixture, of course it is. Everyone changes all their team. But, you know, if you win and you've had a good start to the season, it certainly puts a great spin on things... If you've lost your opening two league games, a la Huddersfield, and you get turned over 4-1 by a team in your division, it does not do much to help the mood. So this was a, a must-win game, really, for them to avoid a spiral. Big save from Lee Nichols, of course, to deny Lewis Baker from the penalty spot at 0 0. Apparently, that was his 15th penalty save of his career, Lee Nichols. which, considering he's not been a number one everywhere he's been, that seems like a quite remarkable statistic, really. But Huddersfield were were good value and they looked more cu- comfortable in a 3-4-3 shape, which is what they moved to for this fixture. Um Kane Kessler Hayden sat has signed on loan from Aston Villa and he went into straight into that right wing back role with Oli Turton going as a right centre back. Um the new Japanese fullback they've signed as well. He played left centre back with Tom Lee's in the middle. It looked more assured, it looked more comfortable. They obviously played 3-4-3 for a large spell of last season as well, and that did really well. It's how they started the season. And then an attack of uh, Andurin, Ward and uh, Sorba Thomas in attack. And it just worked better. Interesting for me is Jack Radoni, playing in central midfield, is someone that we saw at Wimbledon play as a number 10 or play off the left, which is where we saw him make his first few appearances for Huddersfield. But he played in the almost a Lewis O'Brien role in that box-to-box midfield position alongside Jonathan Hogg. He had the second-most touches. Uh, and I think he just gave them more control and energy on the ball, like O'Brien did then perhaps John Russell can and Jonathan Hogg can. So that was a really interesting quirk of this game and the change of shape, which I think clearly helped them. Then, of course, the substitute, Dwayne Holmes coming on, pressing. He's got good work rate. We've seen him play almost as a a second striker in a 4-4-2 at times, the way they've defended because he's got those pressing qualities. And I'm not saying that that works and it clearly hasn't in the opening two games of the season. But you can see why he's played there because he's got the, the qualities to to win the ball back in high positions, which he did. Two assists, first for Danny Ward and then Jordan Rhodes. Good substitutions from Danny Schofield. A really good win. Big save from Lee Nichols from the penalty spot. Changing system and, and a really big afternoon for Huddersfield Town to get off the mark.
1: Huge victory. It cannot be underestimated the magnitude of that win. I mean... They'd obviously had such a crushing defeat in the Carabao Cup in midweek, which obviously, you know, the league is more important. But when you lose a game so heavily like that, especially at home, it does have a damaging impact. And it was absolutely paramount that Huddersfield got a result of some sort on Saturday. And obviously, they had to they had to bide their time a little bit. Obviously, Lee Nichols came to the rescue in the first half with a penalty save. Obviously, Lewis Baker made amends in the second half. But, you know... Huddersfield just showed a little bit more robustness and a little bit more fight, I thought, on Saturday. They went back to basics. The players, to me, seemed to understand their roles more, what I thought. Like you said, the midfield two of Hogg and Rudini, it had a good blend to it, whereas, obviously, Hogg and Russell, it was too static, it was too similar, and not enough buzz about it sort of thing to get up and down the pitch. So that was a bit of a masterstroke by Danny Scope because, as you said, Rudini's not really a player that you tend to think of a number eight, more of a number ten. So, it's a stepping stone. I don't think you can get too carried away because Stoke have not exactly started the season brilliantly either. But you can only base it on what you saw. And Huddersfield did play well on Saturday. They did find a way. And you've got to hope now that they can use this as a lift. Because there was always going to be a drop-off after Carlos Corbran left. And let's not forget, obviously, they've lost key players over the summer. O'Brien and Toffolo, both from Nottingham Forest. Levi Colwell back to Chelsea. So there was always going to be a noticeable difference with three, you know, really important players. I mean, say any any team in the world, if you strip them of their three best players, you'd see a difference. If you took, say, Salah, Trent Alexander-Arnold and, I don't know, Diogo Jota out of Liverpool's team, you'd see a difference in them. So Huddersfield ought to expect that. So I think, obviously, now they've got that first one on the board. It's got the ball rolling and hopefully for them it is going to be a you know a sign of better things to come. But I think the strange thing is, if you take out the Preston defeat in the Cup, which a lot of Huddersfield fans will probably be happy to cast to one side anyway, the defeats to Burnley and Birmingham, even though they were outplayed by Burnley, they haven't lost either of those two games heavily. It's not that they've been thrashed by anybody, obviously Preston game aside. So I'm hoping that they can find a way now to pick things up because, on, you know, you don't become a bad side overnight. There was always going to be, a drop-off in standards and it was always going to take that time to adapt and for Danny Schofield as well he's got to adapt to it it's his first job in management it's not just going to happen instantly for him but on Saturday they got the win obviously you know old nemesis Danny Ward and Jordan Rhodes coming up with the goods Dwayne Holmes couple of assists for him as well off the bench weirdly enough matching his assist tally for the last 83 championship games he played in in the space of just nine minutes but there we go Um, so yeah you know it was an improvement it's a stepping stone they're off the mark now they've just got to find a way to to retain retain those standards but obviously Norwich are way up next you know both sides really could do with the points after a bit of sluggish start probably more so though Norwich
0: yeah Stoke starting to look a little bit meh under Michael O'Neill it's (laughs) not it's not it's not a start. It it's justified the fact that the the board stuck with him over the summer. It's a bit of a concern. It feels like every result is one step forward, two steps back, and I do think frustrations and patience will 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 definitely grow yeah, quicker I than would they agree did last with... season.
1: I just don't. You know, I look at our starting lineup, and I don't think it looks that good. It doesn't fill with confidence. The top end of the pitch isn't bad. Jacob Brown and Dwight Gale, there's goals in that. So
0: I think the squad is good, but I don't think that they're playing as well as some the of their I mean,
1: parts. I, know that, I just think the midfield looks a bit light on attacking quality. Obviously, Baker, you know, brilliant last season. Josh Lawrence come in to add a little bit of everything. But I think they need somebody more, you know, like From a Nick, Nick Powell, Powell that can k- keep fit. fit. Exactly, that's mm-hmm. the problem, when he's fit, which isn't very often. So, I just think they need a few more bodies because the basis of that team, I think, is there. But like you said, Michael O'Neill, it's it is it's a very way of putting it. It is one step forward, two step back, and it is, you know, it's a it's a continuous trend that seems to be striking Stoke. So I think they will be des- desperately disappointed with the start they've made. Three points for a possible nine. It's not great. So they've got to try and turn the screw. But like I've said, brothers, there's a long way to go. It's important not to panic just yet, but it is a bit underwhelming for the ambitions that they've got as a club this season to knock on the door of those playoff places.
0: Five goal thriller at the Den, George, which probably would be higher up in our pecking order on a, a normal week. But it's been a quite a good weekend for Championship narrative. Really good comeback for Millwall after a poor start. A very sloppy goal from Carl McFadden from a, a Millwall perspective early on. Really nice finish from Godden for the second, and then an absolute howler if we're being fair from Simon Moore, where he just completely comes for a free kick, gets absolutely nowhere near it and allows Jake Cooper to head in. That made it 2-1. A second error of the season already for Moore, actually, because he he should have done better for Jack Clark's cross on the opening day where he came for it and missed it and it was headed in. So, it was a goalkeeper we really rated last year. He was excellent. We we praised him to the hills, particularly in the first part of the season, but a little bit of concern for Coventry. But in fairness, I think Millwall deserved to win. They they created a lot of chances. Honeyman equalised, of course. After Tyler Bury's shot hit the post, Bury did really well at coming on. He, he he sort of added some more pace into that forward line. Um he got he he drew the foul from Gustavo Hamer, which saw him sent off for two bookings. Haven't seen the first yellow, obviously, but I've seen the second one, which you can have no complaints about. And then it's a nice finish from George Savile to win the points for Millwall. And on the balance of play, it looks like they probably did deserve it. Nightmare start, which they got off to. And Coventry self-imploding a little bit with the obviously the error from Simon Moore and the red car from Gustavo Hamer, where he's probably let let his, uh, his hot-headed temperature get the better of him a little bit there.
1: Definitely, because Coventry, you know, they probably couldn't believe their luck early doors. There's not many teams that can go to the Den and race into a two-nil league quite quickly. Millwall have become this side that are very, very hard to beat on their own patch. The Championship record this calendar year alone at the Den makes very impressive view. it. So they'll be bitterly disappointed that they've squandered a two-goal lead, you know, away from home, when they've got it so early on in the game. But like you said, a moment of madness from Simon Moore's allowed Jay Cooper into half the deficit, and from that moment, you felt there was only going to be one winner. And the last thing you do really when when you're defending a set play against Millwall at home is get into a panic like that, and ultimately it's marked the catalyst for what was to come. So it's not a good result for Coventry City, not by a long stretch. Obviously, they drew their opening game. They had the second game cancelled. They got thrashed by Bristol City in the League Cup as well. So, it's not really been the best of starts for Coventry at all this year. I think they'll be disappointed with one point from their opening two games, even though they did play to the credit. They played well in that second half at Sunderland on the opening day. On think they, they could have won that game. But, you know, I think Mark Robbins, considering this season, I kind of tip them to really progress and kick on. It's not been the best of starts. As for Millwall, you know, they've had a they've had a decent-ish start. Obviously, they've won their two home games. They lost to Sheffield United away from home, but I think six points on their opening two games is a really acceptable, uh, acceptable haul of points. If they could make the Denner Fortress this season like they do every year, then they'll be they'll be up there this season, knocking on the door of the playoffs. There's no reason why they can't. they recruited well in the summer. Obviously, George Honeyman is off the mark now phobia in on a permanent deal to name another one that's uh, come through the door. So Gary Rowett, you know, he's overseen a gradual improvement at Millwall and I think this season is the year that they really need to make that leap to get into the top six. So six points in their opening three games, that's a decent return. I think Gary Rowett can be pleased with that.
0: A few 1-0 wins now to round off the weekend action. Cardiff City 1, Birmingham City 0. Probably the most one-sided 1-0 you'll probably see in the Championship. This season, a really, really dominant performance from Cardiff, who looked really good in attack, if we're being honest. Credit to Steve Morrison for the, the work he's done transforming that squad because they look better and more attractive. And if I was a Cardiff City fan, I know what style of football and what um, what um attacking intent I would want to watch on a weekend. And it wouldn't be that of Mick McCarthy's team, but it would be that of Steve Morrison's. I thought Callum O'Dowder was brilliant. He's getting a lot of plaudits. Played on the left in the first couple of games, but switched to the right-hand side for this one. And uh, he linked up with Jadon Filagene-Bedence on the uh, left. Lovely ball into the box, and it, he finished from close range. And they combined for the goal. Really, really good start to life for Carmo Modano. I think things had just gone a bit stale at Bristol City, hadn't they? Didn't really know what his best position was. He played as a winger on both sides. He played as a wing-back at times. And he just needed a freshen up. But he started this season really well. Looked good off the left. Looks look really good off the right. And if they've got him coming off the right, contributing goals and assists, um, Beden's coming off the the right, off the left hand side on his right foot, then they're gonna they're gonna cause some problems for teams. That the thing I still think they need is a striker. And I know there was a little a clip that went around on social media about Steve Morrison and a little alter, alter, uh, alter change with a journalist talking about strikers and whether they, they keep saying that they need an experienced striker. But I do think they do. I Think Max Waters. Worked really hard. He clearly runs the channels. He's clearly a good player, but he had some really big chances that he just didn't convert. Now, some of them were good saves from John Ruddy. Some of them were a little bit of lack of composure, perhaps, in front of goal. And and at championship level, you are not going to get that level of dominance in every game. And it's going to come down to little moments and taking your chances that will define how many points Cardiff get on the board. And I still think they need another striker to make sure those chances are going in the back of the net or I think they'll get punished against the better teams. That doesn't mean they can't still have a good season, even if they don't sign one, but I still think they do. But this is a positive segment. Really, really pleased with how Cardiff started the season. Really good performance. Uh, Ryan Wintle's been really good. Really strong start of the season. He's got the armband on. He's dis- dis- uh, dislodged Joe Rolls in central midfield. He's got the armband on and he's looked really good. They look good going forward and I just think another striker would help edge out those tighter games or make games like this where they've absolutely dominated two or three nil wins so it's not a little bit more nervy but really pleased with the start Cardiff have made.
1: Yeah, they've had a very good start. A very good start. That You know, it's it's one that you look at and you think, you know, could they exceed expectations this year? I know, obviously, it's three games in. You don't want to get too carried away but I think the fact that they've taken six points in the first nine, two clean sheets back-to-back home wins it's a really good you know it lays down a marker doesn't it to get things moving and get things, get the ball rolling O'Dowd has been central to it a couple of assists and a goal for him in his first three games that's a good start for him but I think the thing that's impressed me about Steve Morrison is the fact that obviously he brought in such a wealth of new signings over the summer and a lot of people were begging the question Is he gone for quantity over quality but I think he's I think he's struck a right balance in what he's done I mean O'Dowd has come in and been terrific. They've brought in an experienced midfielder and remained Sawyers. I think there's a good blend to what he's done. Romeo right back, I think, is a really you know solid addition for where Cardiff are at as a club. So I think there's a lot to like about what Steve Morrison has done, even though it's very early days so far. But I do agree with your point on a striker, definitely, without a doubt. They do need somebody who's more a little bit more potent to put the ball in the back of the net on a frequent basis. I don't think they've got a player within their ranks to do that, considering that the goals so far you know, they've been three different scorers in the three games that they've scored in and they've only scored three goals in three games which, of course, they've taken six points. It's it's not a bad start but they would like to, you know, make them 1-0 wins a little bit more convincing and comfortable. So, it's clear where their transfer priority lies between now and the end of the window but you would think that, you know, as Premier League clubs begin to assemble their squads towards what they want and meet the threshold that youngsters are going to become available, players that are not in their plans will become available and there'll be opportunity for loan moves to come in. So, Party for me, just a couple of pieces left to put in the jigsaw. But you would argue, from what Steve Morrison's built already, that he's put something good together. And I think they're onto something. They've got two wins on the board out of the first three. You know, admittedly, Reading and Birmingham, they're two teams that they would have looked at and looked to take six points from. But if they'd have looked at the Norwich game, they probably would have expected to lose that. So I think six points is probably about right for what they would have accepted at the start of this little run. So, I think they'll be very pleased with what they've done so far. A good start for Cardiff and Long to continue because their fans need a little bit of something to get excited about this year after a few seasons of, you know, kind of mediocrity and struggles.
0: Yeah, Luton Town nil, at Preston North End 1, another game that finished 1-0 this weekend. Preston are now the, only the 10th team in Championship history not to concede a goal in their first three second-tier matches. Equally, they hadn't scored a goal before the weekend until... Uh, Brad Potts decided to take things into his own hands with an absolutely sensational strike and a, a very early goal of the season contender. I'm not sure I can get my leg that high up near my head. I don't think I'm flexible enough for that. Never mind then strike the ball on the uh, on the volley into the back of the net. So I think that's quite a good goal. And it's a unique goal. We don't sensational see sensational like strike. Else. It's a very good cross as well from Robbie Brady, in fairness. It is. I think it's been a better start for Preston than probably the numbers... Well, sorry, than the the points on the board would suggest. I think a lot of the underlying data says that they should really have nine points out of nine. Um, really decent start from Ryan Lowe's team. They've not conceded yet. They've been the best team probably in each game. Um, certainly the whole game they drew last weekend, which was nil-nil, they should have won that. They had the best chances at Wigan, albeit that was probably a tighter game, but you think the double save that... Uh, ben Amos made from Troy Parrott and Emil Reese jacobsen that could have gone in and been a 1-0 win so I think they should definitely have at least seven points on the board really they're defending really well and it's probably a start that when you look at it and think oh well they've got um, five points on the board it's probably a better start than that what that reflects if I'm being honest.
1: Yeah definitely and I think Preston's recruitment this summer even though it's not you know, had much to it in terms of numbers. I think the recruitment has been smart and sensible. As soon as I saw the signing of Freddie Woodman, I thought that was a really, really good addition. He's a goalkeeper that I've rated a lot over the last couple of years. And he's had the perfect start. I think three clean sheets out of three in the league. Obviously conceded at Huddersfield in the Cup, but that was the night Preston did find their shooting boots and scored four. So when you factor in the Cup win as well, Preston have had a really, really good start, even though they've only won half of their games. But to conceded one goal in four you know, that's not to be sniffed at at any level. So Ryan Lowe has clearly put an emphasis on being sound at the back and it's so far working to a tee. They've, they've limited teams, they've dominated games that they've played in and they've proven against Huddersfield in the cup match that they can turn the turn the screw when they need to. So I still think they need another striker. I really do just to, you know, kind of lend Emil Reese a helping hand and just if they ease the burden on him and, you know, kind of just not obviously not replicate the Cameron Archer deal, because that's going to be very difficult to do, but if they can get somebody young and sprightly, energetic and of pace up there, I think they could be in for a really good season. And I did tip them to push the playoffs quite closely. And I know they've only got five points on the board so far, but to not concede it at all, that's a really impressive start. And Alvaro Fernandes, the young left wing-back they brought in from Manchester United alone, he excelled in the game against Huddersfield. And he offered two assists that night. So he's given a flavour of what he's going to bring to the party. So he's, they've got attacking outlets from the wing-back pushing up. So they have got the ability to play an attack-minded game and obviously not just sit in and be defensively, as you might possibly think, with three clean sheets from three and only having scored one goal in the league. So Ryan Lowe, as I, as I said at the start of the season in our preview episode, he's going to take that team forward this season. And they're already beginning to do that. And just oddly enough, I did find a stat, actually, on uh, Sunday night. We're working some out for our podcast Twitter page and obviously Preston have only been have seen one goal in their three games so far. Either goal, either, either scored or conceded one goal in three games. The last team to do that was in 2015-16. Also, Preston North End, weirdly enough. So they seem to have got a habit for this of starting seasons with not much drama at either end of the pitch. So, But it's doing them no harm at all. They're, they're playing some good stuff just think they just need to add a little bit more attacking threat to their play. And you never know, they could be one of the surprise outlets like we saw with Huddersfield and Luton last year. So Ryan Lowe, I mean, you know, he's proven himself as a good manager at Plymouth. We saw signs of it last season in the second half of the campaign. If you give him the right tools, I think he could be onto something something we with Preston this season. It would be a very encouraging start for them.
0: It definitely has. Uh, Watford won burnley nil was the Friday night game. Watford have continued a very good start to the season. And I don't think they've played amazingly in any of the games. And yet they've got seven points from three very tough fixtures. To beat Sheffield United, draw at West Brom, albeit they were definitely second best at West Brom, but equally had a missed penalty which could have won them the game. And then to beat Burnley, it's a really good start. And I actually think it's a bit ominous for the league that they're not playing that well. And yet they're winning and getting points in really tough games. Um, And it it bodes well for Rob Edwards' side. Obviously, they've lost Emmanuel Dennis. He's leaving, well, he's left at at the time of recording to join Nottingham Forest in a £20 million deal. But Keenan Davis is coming in on loan from Aston Villa, who obviously did so well for Forest last year. So that's a a pretty good replacement. And, and, you know, I don't think the the, the attack sounds any less scary with Davies and uh, Imjimayla Sarr playing sort of in a strike partnership with Jao Pedro behind that, potentially in the back three system they played, that still sounds pretty dangerous, doesn't it? I think in midfield the field, they've looked a little bit lightweight, but I think Hamza Chowdhury coming in might help with that as well. And it was a very good finish from Tom Cleverley as well at the weekend to finish. And as I said, I don't think Watford have been brilliant, but they've got seven points and they're relying on key players that are helping them out. Obviously, it was Sar's brilliance at West Brom that, that got them a, a, a point from in terms of the goal from the halfway line, albeit he missed the penalty. And in this one, it was probably Daniel Batman that, that got them all three points because he pulled off a string of good saves. I think there was almost a personal duel going on between him and Josh Brownhill. I think Brownhill had four efforts in the end, three saved, one off the crossbar. So Burnley were probably a little bit unlucky. But I don't worry about Watford in terms of losing Dennis because I think Davis is a good replacement. I still think tactically it'll it can fit together. So a little bit of a concern for the rest of the division if you don't think Watford have have really done that much but they've got seven points out of nine and that's how I view it right now
1: yeah definitely and like you said seven points out of nine against three teams you would anticipate to be up there come the end of the season obviously Watford have had all three of their games screen live on Sky so far I've seen two of the three I missed the game against Burnley on Friday night because I was working but the game against Sheffield United, I thought they were OK. I thought they were decent in patches. Didn't think Sheffield United were any cop at all that night. That was a real helping hand for Watford. Against West Brom, they were second best throughout. I thought the Baggies played really well that night, to their credit. And then, obviously, Friday night, I've seen the highlights of that game and it looks as though Daniel Backman, you know, was was called into action and more than earned his, earned his money over the weekend. So, considering they've taken seven points from nine, only conceded one goal, it suggests that you know, they could be a force we reckon with once they really do get into full flight. And I think the thing for Watford this year, re- regardless of what happens, they've got to stick with the manager. They've got to stick with the manager for a season. They need some continuity of that club. And Rob Edwards, I will admit, from the just from the TV interviews I've seen, he comes across as a really likable bloke, really down to earth, really normal. And to me, really strikes the opposite
0: some opposite of yeah, what a normal Watford. manager looks like yeah,
1: yeah, and you almost, you know, as a neutral, you look at me and you think, I hope it works out for you. You deserve this chance. He did a good job at Forest Green and he's made that step up, you know, from League Two football to managing, you know, quite a few players that are Premier League pedigree, such as Saar and others, Pedro. So it is a big step up for him. But to me, he seems to have got them on board very, very quickly, the way that he wants to play. And they seem aligned with his system and way of playing. So, you know, it's it's encouraging. It's Obviously, it's not, Earth-shattering because they've not been at their very, very best yet. But that's a sign of a good team. If you can get points on the board without playing brilliantly well, they're up there. They're in the conversation. You would expect them to be. The loss of Emmanuel Dennis is a big loss. It is. But you would argue they are still going to be fine without him. Keenan Davis, I think, is a very good sign. and He really developed at Forest last season in the second half of the campaign. He got better and better. And I think a full season at one club now, playing you know, week in, week out, he could really flourish and be onto something. Chaudhry in the middle, excellent sign. I've always liked him. Really good player. Cleverly, you know, he has that experience, does a job in the midfield, keeps things ticking nicely. Mario Gaspar's coming from Villarreal, mm. vastly experienced player, Champions League experience. So you would argue that, you know, Rob Edwards, he's, he's looked at the recruitment and thought, I just want to add a little bit of blend of everything, a bit of youth, a bit of experience. Player that's on the up in Keenan Davis. And now the biggest question is, Do they keep his mailer? saw? The chances are that interest is going to soar towards the end of the window, as it often does with players of his ilk. But unless Watford get an offer, you know, that they deem respectable and acceptable for him, I think they will do the damnedest to keep hold of him. And after what he produced against West Brom last week, you can understand why. Forget about the penalty miss, obviously, that was awful. We'll not mention that. That was really bad. But the goal was sensational. So really encouraging signs for Watford. As for Burnley, you know, after, after the way they played at Huddersfield that night, we have only picked at one point in the two games that have followed. I think Vincent Kompany will be a little bit disappointed with that. Only scored two goals in their opening three. But they are creating chances. That's the thing. They On another day, they would have got something from that game at Watford on Friday night. The chance they had towards the end, they just met an inspired goalkeeper in Backman. So I don't think you would be too worried. They still need another striker. Still need, I think, a little bit of pace to replace Maxwell Corny in the wide areas. But overall, you can see that he's changing that philosophy. The players are buying into it. And it has got the potential to do something this season, so no reason for panic for Burnley. I just think they'll be a little bit, little bit disappointed. They've only picked up four points in their first uh, three games.
0: I'm not. I think Burnley they just need to continue adding to that squad, don't they? Just desperate for a striker. Yeah. I think the, the Barnes,
1: structure's there.
0: Yeah, Ashley Barnes is just the way, way of playing is there. Goals at the moment. Jay Rodriguez is injured. Costello's a young striker. They've got to get a really good forward in. I think personally, Twine's not even kicked a ball really for them. But
1: you'd expect once he gets up to scratch, exactly. you know, that he should deliver the goods.
0: Really the opportunity. They, they
1: need, they need another source of goals from somewhere. Obviously, there's ongoing talk about leaving the lap from Manchester City. For me, while he would be a good sign, there's definitely a very good player in there. I think they they need somebody who knows the championship and has done it on a regular basis. I mean, they could do far worse. For example, than you know, going for Andreas Weimann or something with the form he's in right now. He wouldn't be a bad shout, but. It'll come for Burnley. You know, they've added to the squad as the window's gone on. A lot of new players, but even though they've only scored twice in these opening three games, you can already see that Vincent Company is changing that style of play for the better, and they are buying into it, them players.
0: And then finally, Blackpool nil, Swansea won. I don't really know how Blackpool lost this game. Uh, they'll certainly be kicking <laughs> themselves for the way they did lose it. Uh, created plenty of chances, and, and they got done on the break, if we're being honest. It wasn't a great sort of challenge to try and bring Oberfemi down. Um, but what do you do? You're, you're trying to win. The, you know they missed the penalty, of course, Blackpool. They're trying to win the game. They were although Swansea had good spells. Blackpool were look the most likely to win it in the latter stages, and they've got caught on the counter attack. It's not great defending. I think they could have dealt with it earlier. And then once Obafemi's clear of the defence, tees up enchantment. It's a tapping. I think you're really frustrated, if you Michael Appleton, to not have taken something from this game, especially having had the penalty. You're on top. Yes, they're pushing players forward, but someone's got to take a yellow card earlier in that move and just take someone down. Or, you know, the tackle that I think it's Thompson makes on the halfway line, it's neither good enough to win the ball, nor does he really show the physicality to take a card or or bring down um, Obafemi. So, I think they'll be really frustrated to have lost this one. I thought Josh Bowler, again, I'm going to say this every week until he, he leaves at the end of the window, perhaps. He looks like their best outlet in terms of trying to score a goal.
1: Oh, he is with that any should of a doubt. He's their main man, isn't he? And right, uh, Jerry Yates is probably just cursing him why he didn't lay the ball across to him for the chance that they're creating in the second half. But, you know, all players, you know, when they've got the sight of goal, nine times out of ten they're gonna have a crack themselves, so you can't blame him for that. If it had flown into the net, he'd have been a hero. But no, Blackpool will be kicking themselves with that. They really will, because they did play some decent stuff at times and they've had a bit of a a bit of an indifferent start to the season, haven't they? Obviously, beat Redden on the opening day, then lost to Stoke. Then bowed out of the Carabao Cup on penalties to Barrow, and then obviously this one with the defeat to, um, yeah, Swansea at the weekend. I actually forgot for a second they'd even played. Um, but I think the fact that they've only scored one goal in their opening four games in League Cup makes it very clear where their priorities lie. That is that is concerning. One goal in four games, especially when you factor in you play the League Two side at home in the cup as well. It shows that you need to make reinforcements and quickly. But as we've seen with Blackpool this summer. Transfers have been hard to come by. They've been slow. They've got a few loan signings through the door. Lewis Fiorini, Rhys Williams, Charlie Patino from Arsenal's come in as well. So they've just got to try and build on what they've got and hopefully get a few more bodies in before the window shuts. But I'm convinced they will. But I do think though that they will be in that conversation at the bottom this year. And i already I already think even though they did play reasonably well on Saturday, I do think there are signs there. Like Huddersfield, they've lost their biggest asset in the in the form of their manager.
0: I think that might well be the case, yeah. Um, couple of draws, just to quickly round us off. Middlesbrough 2, Sheffield United 2 was the second, or well, it was technically the first in chronological order. It was the, the other Sunday game. Sheffield uh, United led twice. Really nice finish from Sander Berger to put them 1-0 up. Very comical own goal from Ryan Giles, in my opinion, uh, made them 2-1. And either side of those goals was uh, two nicely taken goals from Chua Akpom who's continuing to to put a case to Chris Wilder that he should be the striker that they're looking for in the transfer market. He's uh he certainly started the season well. He did well in pre-season to earn the opportunity. Two really well-taken goals. Uh, the first goal in particular was a really nice team move, lovely passing triangles to cut Sheffield United open, but uh just an entertaining game at the Riverside and then Wigan won, Bristol City one. Uh one fewer goal conceded by Bristol City, I suppose that's a positive. Um, Andy Vyman scoring for the third game in a row. That's a positive. But Will Keane cancelling it out and he also missed a quite a big chance later on in the uh in the game, which could have won it for Wigan. And that rounds off this week's championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Right, George, time for our shocks and bankers now. Obviously there's games in midweek, but we're gonna look at the games next weekend to keep this podcast as fresh as possible. So let me know what you've got for this weekend selections.
1: Well, I'm gonna take two games on Saturday. Going with those. In terms of my banker this weekend, I'm gonna I'm gonna go brave and I'm gonna go bold with this as a banker. You might think I'm a bit um a bit daft going for this, but I'm gonna go for Preston to beat Watford as my banker. Not a shock. I've got a good feeling about Preston at the minute. They've started the season well. They're not you know, they're not conceding goals. Back at home, they'll fancy the chances against Watford, who, as we've said, you know, have been playing okay, but not really hit their stride just yet. So I'm going to go for Preston as a banker. In terms of a shock this weekend, I'm going to go for a big one. I'm going to go for Rotherham to win away at QPR. Rotherham, not one on the road, obviously not had an away game yet this season. Their opening day trip to Coventry was postponed. So fancy Rotherham there in that game at QPR. Obviously, they might win away at midweek, so it'll be their second away game. But we shall see. So Rotherham for my shock, Preston for my banker.
0: It's always hard to do these when there's a round of fixtures in midweek because it, it changes your oh, no. mindset and what you think. I think, for my shock, I think I'm going to Sunderland to win at Stoke. Um, and for my banker, I'm liking the look of Burnley to beat Blackpool at home, if you're happy with both of those.
1: I'll come back
0: then. Right, so that's why I'm going to go for Sunderland to win at Stoke and uh, Burnley to beat Blackpool at home. Thank you for listening, as always. That does mark the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts from for the latest episodes every single week. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram too at Champ Pod 24 A huge thanks again to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Please make sure you go and check them out at www.cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.